In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our reading for today is the Gospel reading which you've heard. You may be seated. We talked about this on Ash Wednesday, but one of the things that Lent is known for is fasting. That is, when you go without for a certain period of time, usually we're talking about food when you're talking about the traditional form of fasting. But part of this fast is also a training for the body, for times when you might actually have to go without something. And the harder that we train for something, the easier it will go when the time comes for us to put that training into action. The thing is, there is another kind of training that is always going on in the lives of God's people. For instance, after the people of Israel left Egypt, after they had left slavery and were wandering in the wilderness, God tested them with the manna. He had said that they were to gather only enough for their family for each day, except on Fridays they were to gather twice as much so that they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath. They weren't to gather more and try to hoard against times of, of with, when they might not have food to eat, but they were just to get enough for the day. If you remember, early on, they failed this test. They gathered more than what they were supposed to, and when they found it the next day, it had bread worms and it had stank. God was testing the Israelites to see if they would obey his command. But he was also testing them to see if they trusted his provision of daily bread. It was a test of their faith. But why? Why would God test their faith? And why would God test our faith? I remember how much I hated running when I did it in school. I often get much trepidation and groaning from catechism students when I tell them that a test is coming. And the fact is, we don't like hardship. We don't like testing. We don't like the challenge. We don't like the pain. So why would a God that supposedly loves us, why would he put us through the pain of a test? Well, consider this Canaanite woman that Jesus encounters on his journey through Gentile territory. She is definitely one of those mysteries in the narrative of Scripture that we'd love to know more about. She's a descendant of the Canaanites, the ancient enemies of the people of Israel. Her people and her culture, for hundreds of years at this point, had worshipped false gods, or as St. Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he calls them demons. She did not have the law or the prophets that God had given to his people, and yet she makes a beautiful, orthodox confession of the Christian faith. She cries out to Jesus, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. This is exactly what you would expect to hear from a daughter of Israel who was faithful, who had grown up hearing the word of God, who had come to realize that 
All of the Old Testament was pointing to this itinerant rabbi, Jesus, the carpenter's son. All of it was to be fulfilled in him. How in the world did this Canaanite woman know any of this? How did she know what she knew? This would almost be akin to running into some isolated African tribesman who could confess for us today the Apostles' Creed. St. Paul tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. She knows her Lord, which means that the Lord knows her. The Holy Spirit is at work in her. We're not talking about a knowledge that is sort of general, that God knows everyone in creation because he created them. But this is a knowledge of a father who knows his child. She is a Christian who believes the promises of God. So we should see in this woman a picture of all of us, hopefully. We call Jesus Lord. We know him, and he knows us. We hear and believe the promises of God. And yet, despite her orthodoxy, despite her faithfulness, we see how the Lord is treating this woman in an outward way. When she cried out, he ignores her. But she's not going to be deterred by that. Just like blind Bartimaeus a few weeks ago, they told him to be silent and he kept on crying out. And so the disciples beg Jesus at that point to send her away. But Jesus responds by telling them that he had come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I always imagine Jesus saying this in sort of an exaggeratedly loud way, almost like you hear or see on television, the way that he's speaking to the disciples, but loud enough that she could definitely hear what Jesus was saying. But even that does not stop this woman. She falls down at Jesus' feet. Lord, help me. Jesus' response to that is as harsh as she is desperate. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Thing is, we sometimes feel this woman's excruciating pain, don't we? How often have we cried out to God in prayer only to get silence in the face of our prayers? I read a book recently by C.S. Lewis, the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the rest of the Chronicles of Narnia series called A Grief Observed. And in this book, C.S. Lewis is recounting his experience of his prayer life, especially after his wife died from a battle with cancer. He spoke of the cruelty of how God seemed so close when things were going well and times were happy, and that it seems that he welcomes you in those times with open arms and you turn to him in praise and gratitude and he's right there to listen to you. But, he says, but to go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, what do you find? 
a door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. Who among us has not experienced this silence from God? Or what about the thought that maybe God's promises are for other people, but they're not for me? For a lot of Israel's history, they believed that they would be the only recipients of God's saving grace. St. Paul, in fact, in one place calls the fact that the Gentiles are part of God's saving plan, he calls this the mystery that was hidden from the foundation of the world. That God's plan was always to save the Gentiles, but that was not generally known even among the faithful of Israel. So, how can I know that God's love is for me in particular? And that he also then hears my prayers? Or what about the feeling of worthlessness before God? How can we know that God can love someone like me? He knows my sin. He sees my doubts. How could he possibly love someone like me? I'm nothing but a mangy dog begging for table scraps. These thoughts and more cloud our thoughts and trip up our prayers, making it hard to see God's good purpose for us, especially in the midst of struggle. The pain and turmoil with God in prayer in these times is real, but God does not leave us without help. In James 1, the apostle writes, Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God does, in fact, test our faith, as he did with this Canaanite woman. What perhaps we don't realize is that the interaction between Jesus and the, and the Canaanite woman, Jesus knows this woman inside and out. He sees her faith, and he knows exactly how strong her faith is, and he knows exactly what the weak points of her faith are. He sees the faith in her heart, and that's not something that we can see when we read the text from Matthew 15. We aren't given that insight. He sees her faith, and he knows exactly what she needs in order for her faith to be tested and tried and then to produce this steadfastness that will not allow her to be moved. Dear saints, in these times when you are struggling with God in prayer, your God is testing your faith like a refiner is purifying gold. He's seeking to burn off all the imperfections and strengthen you for your life in this world. And that process is painful. And that process is hard. But God has promised never to forsake you. He knows your faith just as he knew the Canaanite woman's faith. And he knows exactly what you need. Remember his promise to you in Romans chapter 8. And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his good purpose. This is a passage to memorize, by the way. We can repeat it in our times of training so that when the time of testing comes, we will know it inside and out, front to back, and we can hold on to this promise and know that God will bring about good for us out of trouble. Isn't this exactly what we heard Jesus do last week in his battle against Satan? Did he not rehearse these Bible passages and spit them out to the devil to make him flee away? This is what Jesus is teaching us to do too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, St. Paul also addresses the trials that God puts us through with regards to our faith. He writes, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. From this passage, we learn that we are not alone in our trials. One of the things that Satan loves to do is when we're going through something difficult, he loves to make us feel like we are all alone, that no one else has gone through what we're going through and no one else could possibly understand. But St. Paul reminds us that we are not unique in the things that we suffer, and that's a good thing. Others have gone through what we're going through. Others are going through the things that we're going through. This is why, dear saints, it is so vital and important for us to be part of a faithful congregation. Sure, we come here to be forgiven, but we're also here for one another. We're not just here for this stuff, but we're here for this stuff too. So that... When you are here with your fellow saints, you are, as St. Paul says, bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. When you don't come to church, you are depriving others of your presence with them. Or, if you are the one that's undergoing trouble, you're cutting yourself off from the very people that God has put into your life to help you, to pray for you, to laugh with you, to weep with you, and to encourage you through times of trouble. But we also learn one other important truth from this passage from St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Sometimes this passage gets garbled up and it's repeated as something like this, and you've probably heard this before. God won't let you be tempted, or God, sorry, God won't let you let me try this one more time. Third time's a charm. God won't give you more than you can handle. And just like it was a bit of a tongue twister for me, this is also a twisting of God's truth. It is a hint that there's enough truth in there that people will try to comfort themselves with it. And worse, they'll even try to comfort others with it. But there are times, and many of you know this, there are times when we face such hard tests of faith that we actually cannot handle it. 
Satan wants us to be alone so that he can break us. But here in this passage, St. Paul says that with the temptation, God will provide the way of escape that you may able be, may be able to endure it. That is, God gives us an open door to flee from the temptation, to find refuge from it. And dearly beloved, that refuge, that way of escape is none other than God and his word and his holy sacraments. The psalmist writes in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew 18, speaking of the gathering of believers, he says, Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. When God appears silent in the face of your struggles, he wants you to find him exactly where he always promises to be, in his word and in his sacraments. And he comes to you today under the forms of bread and wine to give you his body and blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins and to strengthen you for your battles. When you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here in this place, he gives himself to you as a shield and as a consolation and as an inoculation against the snares of the devil. Here, he becomes your way of escape that you may be able to endure the trials that you face in this life. Jesus promises to answer your prayers. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Dear saints, Jesus knows what you need. He knows your struggles. He knows your pain. And he knows how best to end them. So see how he cared for our dear sister, this Canaanite woman, how he cared for her, how he strengthened her faith and provided for her. She believed and she received help from the Lord at the right time. And in the same way, he has promised to help you in your hour of need. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.